BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, going on a Savannah River cruise in a couple weeks, never been on one of those, my mom's cousin is coming into town. We're going to go on a Savannah River cruise, you know, up and down the mighty Savannah River. Don't know what sights we will see. You know, there's a huge port here. It's a port city. Maybe people don't know that. Maybe they do. Third largest port, apparently, in the United States. And I like ports. I like seeing the big container ships go floating on by. You know, if you walk down to the river sometimes... You can see some of the container ships, and they 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 feel so close. You you want you you feel like you can reach out and just touch them. They're that close to the banks, and um, you don't get a sense of the size of them until you're up up right up to them, and you see they're just like you know they're just like skyscrapers floating by, laden with goods from all over the world. You know, piled high on the deck and. You look at that and you think, oh my, you know, this is, this is the, 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 the supply chain issues right here, you know, just these boats coming back and forth and, you know, if there's not dock workers and there's not, you know, people are laid up with COVID or whatever, you know, things don't, uh, things don't move. I read a very interesting book about this called something like, I think the book is called like 99% of everything or something like that, but it's about the shipping industry. These, uh, these cargo ships and, and their history, and what they do, and the people on them, and that, very interesting. Cargo, logistics, routing, you know, tracking things, just goods moving across the globe. I find this stuff interesting. Logistics. How do you get something from point A to point B to point C? Things you don't think about too much, you know? You order something on Amazon, like a 100-count box of Twining's English breakfast tea, and they promise you'll have it the next day, and then it doesn't show up. Well, what the hell? That's a $12 box of tea, and, you, and you're telling me it's not going to show up? Because that's what happened. You think this crankiness comes from, 
you know, not getting enough sleep or whatever, but hey, maybe I'm out of English breakfast tea and Amazon said they were going to have it for me the next day and it didn't show up. How about that? Now, look, I know the world is going to hell, but if it's going to go there, I'd like to have a steaming hot mug of English breakfast tea by my side while we watch it burn. Is that too much to ask? Ah, now I'm on a cargo and logistics tirade. I didn't mean for it to start off on this kind of foot. I've ruined everything already, but um, undoubtedly things are about to get much worse because the last time we were together, young Linton Heathcliff was being trundled off to Wuthering Heights to meet his father for the first time. That ghoul. And the boy is, you know, he's he's got a he's got kind of a pale and weakly physiognomy. Doesn't seem like he's going to be particularly well suited to life in the heights with all the comings and goings and mishaps occurring in that old pile. And yet there he is. The boy's father is sent for him and Edgar Linton had no choice but to to let him go. So that's where we left it last time. He was with Mrs. Dean. And, uh, you know, she's she's basically saying anything she can to get him to go because the kid doesn't want to go. He's never met his father. Didn't even know he had a father until about 10 minutes ago. Now he's being trundled off to meet the old ghoul. So let's pick it up where we are. Chapter 20 of... Wuthering Heights. The pure heather-scented air and the bright sunshine and the gentle canter of Minnie relieved his despondency after a while. He began to put questions concerning his new home and its inhabitants with greater interest and liveliness. Is Wuthering Heights as pleasant a place as Thrustcross Grange, he inquired, turning to take a last glance into the valley, whence a light mist mounted and formed a fleecy cloud on the skirts of the blue. It is not so buried in trees, I replied, and it is not quite so large, but you can see the country beautifully all round, and the air is healthier for you, fresher and drier. You will, perhaps, think the building old and dark at first, though it is a respectable house the next best in the neighborhood. And you will have such nice rambles on the moors. There they go, rambling on the moor again. (laughs) Hareton Earnshaw, that is Miss Cathy's other cousin, and so yours in a manner, will show you all the sweetest spots, and you can bring a book in fine weather and make a green hollow your study. And now and then your uncle may join you in a walk. He does frequently walk out on the hills. Well, she's painting a picture here that I think we know is at best misleading and at worst downright false. Is Wuthering Heights as pleasant a place as Thrushcross Grange? That was the question. And I don't think the boy meant the scenery. I don't think he meant the countryside. I think he meant, are there going to be wolves there that will bite my face off? And the answer to that question is yes, yes. If not the wolves, then the canines of the Homo sapien variety, whose teeth will be bared, and the saliva hanging from their mouths in great ropes of rabid, what, virus? A rabid virus? I mean, rabies is a virus. How could you have a rabid virus? You can't. Stupid thing to say, Michael. 
It's a stupid thing to say, Shakespeare. How dare you? <clears throat> and what is my father like? He asked. Is he as young and handsome as uncle? Well, he's young, said I, but he has black hair and eyes and looks sterner, and he is taller and bigger altogether. He'll not seem to you so gentle and kind at first, perhaps, because it is not his way. Still, mind you be frank and cordial with him, and naturally he'll be fonder of you than any uncle, for you are his own. Well, that's very optimistic, Mrs. Dean, very optimistic indeed, because we have already determined that Heathcliff is incapable of any human warmth towards any other creature, save perhaps for Kathy, and I think you could even make the argument that he didn't much care for her either. He doesn't like anybody, least of all himself, and that really ultimately is the real tragedy of Wuthering Heights, is that Heathcliff just doesn't love himself. I mean, if we could just get him into a Tony Robbins seminar or something, I know we could help him. Ugh. I mean, he's already in America, you know, the self-help capital of the world. Go on down to Barnes & Noble, pick up a copy of The Artist's Way, do something. Do some damn thing instead of rambling along the moors, fuming at everything. It's terrible. Black hair and eyes, mused Linton. I can't fancy him. Then I am not like him, am I? Well, not much, I answered. Not a morsel, I thought, surveying with regret the white complexion and slim frame of my companion, and his large, languid eyes, his mother's eyes, save that, unless a morbid touchiness kindled them a moment, they had not a vestige of her sparkling spirit. "'How strange that he should never come to see Mama in me,' he murmured. "'Has he ever seen me? If he have, I must have been a baby. I remember not a single thing about him.' "'Why, Master Linton,' said I, Three hundred miles is a great distance, and ten years seem very different in length to a grown-up person compared with what they do to you. It is probable Mr. Heathcliff proposed going from summer to summer, but never found a convenient opportunity, and now it is too late. Don't trouble him with questions on the subject. It will disturb him for no good.' "'Yeah, I mean, you have... You have to forgive, I think, a father for never entering your life or being a part of it or coming to visit or writing you a letter or acknowledging you in any way, shape, or form. Um, 300 miles, you know, that's a long way to go. Probably take, probably take a couple of days, you know, in a carriage to go that far. It's quite a distance. And Heathcliff is obviously very... It's not like he doesn't love the kid. Of course he loves him. Loves him more than anything. You know, you, probably not a moment in Heathcliff's life didn't go by where he wasn't trying to figure out how to get to see his son who he totally ignored and ostracized for the first 10 years of his life. It's like you want to blame Herschel Walker for not being a part of his kids' lives. Well, the guy's busy. How's he supposed to keep food on the table for everybody? If he can't be out there working and hustling and doing his thing, and then you want to talk about, well, he doesn't even, he, he's not a part of my life at all. Well, what would you rather have? Herschel Walker in your life or food on the table? Exactly right. And this is the problem with today's Ute. And it's the problem with this, this, uh, this little whiny Linton. And I hope Heathcliff gives him a good speaking to. And when I say speaking to, I mean a firm beating about the butt. 
the boy was fully occupied with his own cogitations for the remainder of the ride, till we halted before the farmhouse garden gate. I watched to catch his impressions in his countenance. He surveyed the carved front and low-browed lattices, the straggling gooseberry bushes and crooked ferns, with solemn intentness, and then shook his head. His private feelings entirely disapproved of the exterior of his new abode, but he had sense to postpone complaining. There might be compensation within. Well, there won't be. The exterior mirrors the interior. If anything, the exterior is grander because at least you can escape from it. The interior... It's like Alcatraz in there. It's just horrible. Before he dismounted, I went and opened the door. It was half past six. The family had just finished breakfast. The servant was clearing and wiping down the table. Joseph stood by his master's chair, telling some tale concerning a lame horse. And Hareton was preparing for the hayfield. "'Hello, Nellie,' cried Mr. Heathcliff when he saw me. "'I feared I should have to come down and fetch my property myself. "'You've brought it, have you? "'Let us see what we can make of it. "'His property,' he says. "'My God!' "'That is how you greet your child as your property, "'as a little trinket to be fetched from the next county over.' This is, I'm telling you, look, I know nobody, nobody here is thinking things are going to go great for Linton. Like, I don't have any special insight into this. But, uh, you know, first impressions being everything, this wasn't a great one. Let me see what you brought, my property. He got up and strode to the door. Hareton and Joseph followed in gaping curiosity. Power Linton ran a frightened eye over the faces of the three. Surely, said Joseph after a grave inspection, he swooped with ye, maester, and yon is lass. He swooped with you, master, and yon's his lass. I don't know what that, I don't know what that means, and there's, and there's not, not even a footnote. Not even a footnote for a translation. It's supposed to be so obvious. And yours, his, and Jan's, his, he swapped, he swapped with you, master, and Jan's his last. Uh, whatever. Heathcliff, having stared his son into an agway of confusion, uttered a scornful laugh. What's an agway? A-G-U-E. Let's crank up the old research machine to get a... A proper definition of agway. Let's see how it's pronounced. Ague. 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 Having stared his son into an ague of confusion. So it's an archaic word, and it it uh, it's it's it it refers to uh, like a shivering fit that you contract perhaps from malaria or some other illness. But he just stared at him until he was just a quivering mess, is what they're driving at right there. With that sentence there, that's what they're, that's what they're doing. All right, so let's take a little uh, break. Uh, have ourselves a good old ague. And uh, we'll return in a moment here on Obscure. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. 
I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Back on Obscure, recovered from our shivering fits or our fivering shits, whichever one you decided to have. Heathcliff is running his eye over his son. And uh, let's hear his reaction. God, what a beauty. What a lovely, charming thing, he exclaimed. Haven't they reared it on snails and sour milk, Nelly? Oh, damn my soul, but that's worse than I expected. And the devil knows I was not sanguine, sanguine, sanguine. Uh, hopeful sanguine. I always say I always say sanguine, sanguine. Sanguine is the, is the pronunciation. I don't know where my head is. I was not sanguine. So... He has called the boy his property. He has brought him for inspection. He has, uh, and this is all in the span of the first minute of him meeting his son. He has eyed him up and down, uh, sending him into a shivering fit, and then has mocked him to his face. So I would say, and again, like I, I don't hold myself up to be any kind of parenting expert, but I would say things are not boding well for young Linton and his budding relationship with his father. I bid the trembling and bewildered child get down and enter. He did not thoroughly comprehend the meaning of his father's speech or whether it was intended for him. Indeed, he was not yet certain that the grim, sneering stranger was his father, but he clung to me with growing trepidation, and on Mr. Heathcliff's taking a seat, and bidding him come hither, he hid his face on my shoulder and wept. Tut, tut, said Heathcliff, stretching out a hand and dragging him roughly between his knees, and then holding up his head by the chin. None of that nonsense. We're not going to hurt thee, Linton. Isn't that thy name? Thou art thou thy mother's child entirely. Where's my share in thee, puling chicken? <laughs> puling chicken! You're all her. I see none of myself in you, you puling chicken. He took off the boy's cap and pushed back his thick flaxen curls, felt his slender arms in his small fingers, during which examination Linton ceased crying and lifted his great blue eyes to inspect the inspector. Do you know me? asked Heathcliff, having satisfied himself that the limbs were all equally frail and feeble. No, said Linton, with a gaze of vacant fear. You've heard of me, I dare say. No, he replied again. No, what a shame of your mother, never to waken your filial regard for me. You are my son, then, I'll tell you. And your mother was a wicked slut. <laughs> It's just, I mean, he's just not making the best first impression. Uh, I tell you, you know, you're a puling chicken. Your mother was a wicked slut. What is he doing? What is he doing? 
why must he, uh, you know, squash everything down in this life with this thumb, you know? And it's one thing when you're making snickerdoodles, you know, and you got cookie dough and you got to smash it down a little bit with your thumb to get the right shape. But I'll tell you, when you do it to little boys, the results are not good. Or little girls, for that matter. You just don't want to squash people in general. It's it, it, because it because uh, they don't like it. Well, they'll turn against you real quick, won't they? If they feel squashed. But that's what he does. He's just a horrible, horrible human being. And then uh, this idea, who was it? Haley, I feel like, sent me to uh, like a link to talk about why people find Heathcliff attractive. And and it seemed to be, and apparently people do, it seemed to be that he he has this kind of all-encompassing love for Catherine, and I don't read it like that at all. At all. It isn't love. He's kind of a black hole. He just tries to bring everything into his orbit so that he might suck them down into his own darkness, never to escape. You know, he just he only wants to consume, to feed his own darkness. And you know, I don't. To me, that is not uh, an attractive quality in a person. There is nothing redemptive about this character, and the idea that he loves Catherine. No, he doesn't. He would have he would have subsumed her as well, and her him. Their destiny, as I said, was that of Sid and Nancy. They were both going to die. And they would have lit each other aflame. They would have burned to the ground. And that would have been the end of it. If only Catherine had rejected Edgar Linton and gone off with Heathcliff. They, they could have just destroyed each other in peace. But now he is left to destroy everybody else. Your mother was a wicked slut to leave you in ignorance of the sort of father you possessed. Now don't wince and color up, though it is something to see you have not white blood. So he, I, he's making fun of him for being pale, and then, you know, he, he got a little blush in his cheek, and then he said, oh, good, well, you, you, there, is, there is blood in you. Be a good lad, and I'll do for you. Nelly, if you be tired, you may sit down. If not, get home again. I guess you'll report what you hear and see to the cipher at the Grange, and this thing won't be settled while you linger about it. Well, replied I, I hope you'll be kind to the boy. Very little chance of that, Mr. Heathcliff, or you'll not keep him long. And he's all you have a kin in the wide world that you will ever know. Remember, I'll be very kind to him, you needn't fear, he said, laughing. Oh, laughing. Only nobody else must be kind to him. I'm jealous of monopolizing his affection. And to begin my kindness, Joseph, bring the lad some breakfast. Hareton, you infernal calf, be gone to your work. Yes, Nell, he added when they had departed. My son is prospective owner of your place, and I should not wish him to die till I was certain of being his successor. Besides, he's mine, and I want the triumph of seeing my descendant fairly lord of their estates. My child hiring their children to till their father's lands for wages. That is the sole consideration which can make me endure the whelp. I despise him for himself, 
and hate him for the memories he revives. But that consideration is sufficient. He's as safe with me, and shall be tended as carefully as your master tends his own. I have a room upstairs, furnished for him in handsome style. I've engaged a tutor also, to come three times a week, from twenty miles distance, to teach him what he pleases to learn. I've ordered Herden to obey him. And in fact, I have arranged everything with a view to preserve the superior and the gentleman in him above his associates. I do regret, however, that he so little deserves the trouble. If I wished any blessing in the world, it was to find him a worthy object of pride, and I'm bitterly disappointed with the wave-faced whining wretch. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Or, you know, some fathers, you know. You know, the way they show their love is to just call their kids way-faced wetches and, and the mothers a wicked slut and puling chickens and all the rest of it. You know, it's just, a, it's just a different generation. You know, it's just a different way of showing affection is by bemoaning that he is uh, nothing like you wanted him to be and that you are going to raise him in such a manner that yet he will, he will uh, become a cold and calculating fuckhead just like you uh, and your interest in him is purely punitive for the family that had come before. And that's, that's, that's all. That's all. That were it up to you, you would just as soon put him in a burlap sack and throw him in the river. But you need the satisfaction of having him be lord of Wuthering Heights and Thrushcross Grange and hiring the children of the former owners. That is what you need to make yourself feel what? Satisfied, Heathcliff? You'll never be satisfied. To quote the great Lin-Manuel Miranda, you'll never be satisfied. Ugh! But, you know, at least he has a tutor coming and shit. While he was speaking, Joseph returned, bearing a basin of milk porridge, and placed it before Linton. He stirred round the homely mess with a look of aversion, and affirmed he could not eat it. I saw the old manservant shared largely in his master's scorn of the child, though he was compelled to retain the sentiment in his heart, because Heathcliff plainly meant his underlings to hold him in honour. "'Cannot eat it,' repeated he, peering in Linton's face, and subduing his voice to a whisper for fear of being overheard. "'But Maester Hayton never ate nought else when he were a little un, and what were good enough for him is good enough for ya, I'd rather think.' So I think that was pretty self-explanatory. Young Master Hayden, he never ate anything but. And look at him, hale and hearty lad that he is. He's off to work in the fields right now. Good enough for him, good enough for you. You little runny shit. I shan't eat it, answered Linton snappishly. Take it away. Joseph snatched up the food indignantly and brought it to us. Is there aught else the victuals? he asked, thrusting the tray under Heathcliff's nose. "'What should ail them?' he said. "'War,' answered Joseph. "'Yon dainty chaps as he cannot eat them. 
But oh, guess it's right. His mother were just so. We were almost too mucky to sow to corn for making her bread. <laughs> right, well, all right, you lost me again, Joseph. We were too mucky. Well, that dainty chap says he cannot eat them. But I guess it's all right. His mother was just like that. We were almost too filthy to sow the corn for making her bread. Right. She thought she was better than us. He thinks he's better. Everybody thinks he's better than you and me, Mr. Heathcliff. Well, we'll show them a thing or two, won't we? Don't mention his mother to me, said the master, angrily. Get him something that he can eat, that's all. What is his usual food, Nellie? I suggested boiled milk or tea, and the housekeeper received instructions to prepare some. Come, I reflected. His father's selfishness may contribute to his comfort. He perceives his delicate constitution and the necessity of treating him tolerably. tolerably. I'll console Mr. Edgar by acquainting him with the turn Heathcliff's humor has taken. Having no excuse for lingering longer, I slipped out while Linton was engaged in timidly rebuffing the advances of a friendly sheepdog. But he was too much on the alert to be cheated. As I closed the door, I heard a cry and a frantic repetition of the words. Don't leave me. I'll not stay here. I'll not stay here. Then the latch was raised and fell. They did not suffer him to come forth. I mounted Minnie and urged her to a trot. And so, my brief guardianship ended. End of chapter 20. Well, you say that now, Nellie, but I suspect you won't give up your guardianship quite so easily. I mean, look, are you going to be his nanny? No. But you've taken us this far in the story. I suspect we'll be hearing a lot more of your involvement with young Kathy, young Linton, and young Hareton. So I've got a squash by my side. He's on his dog bed, supine as I was last episode. Yes, comfortable and calm. The dogs in Wuthering Heights reflecting the nature of their masters, squash reflecting my own nature at the moment, comfortable and calm. Well, nap time has come to sultry Savannah, and so we lay this episode to rest, and uh, we'll see you next time on another uh, appealing episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black. And get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening. Thank you.